With a 50% obesity rate in the U.S. and more unhealthy people than ever before, it is time to make America healthy. Welcome to Make America Healthy with Beth Shaw. If you're feeling tired, toxic, heavy, slow, or stressed, then keep listening. Beth and her expert guests are here to offer practical advice and share the tools you need to reclaim your physical, mental, and emotional health. Now, here is your host, Beth Shaw. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Make America Healthy, where our goal is to educate you, inspire you, inform you, and just give you some more tools so that you can feel better on every level, every day. So as we move into the month of June, which is PTSD Awareness Month, we're also going to deal with things that give us anxiety, depression, maybe even trauma. And we've got the topic today of workplace health and how to be healthy when you're sitting 8, 10, 12 hours a day, perhaps at a corporate job, surrounded by packaged snacks, maybe some unhealthy foods, people bringing bagels into the office if you're still going into an office, and how you can maintain your physical and mental health and still keep your job. So today we have some corporate wellness experts. Um, We'd like to welcome our friend, Barry Drexler, who has a long history in human resources in corporate America. Uh, Barry is a human resources consultant, expert witness, interview coach, and career expert. He advises corporate clients on strategic planning, leadership policy, and performance management. He also was the HR director for Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, remember them, Lloyd's Banking Group, and Morgan Stanley. He's on the news. I just saw him on the news the other night um, as an HR expert and always weighs in with some very interesting thoughts. Uh, He's also got a background in meditation and Zen Buddhism, which is just the kind of guest we love to have on Make America Healthy. We're also joined by Natasha Bowman, who is one of the most well-known names in workplace expertise. She has been named the top 30 global guru in management, a top 200 voice in leadership, and one of LinkedIn's top voices for mental health. She's a three-time author. Her latest book looks interesting, Crazy AF, How to Go from Being Burnt Out, Unmotivated, and Unhappy to Reclaiming Your Mental Health at Work. I would like to welcome both of our guests. And since um, obviously you both have a lot of expertise in the, the corporate world and also dealing with people, I would like to know from both of you, what the current climate is right now for people who are engaged in the workforce. Barry, would you like to start? Sure. Well, we're coming off an extraordinary event in terms of the pandemic and the workforce and work dynamics have changed dramatically. And so in the past, before the pandemic, working from home was a privilege and not many employees were doing that and working from home. Now, employees are actually demanding it. And it's created some interesting challenges for companies to, to address that, where employees now are expecting it. Uh, you know, So I think that's that's been very difficult for a lot of people right now. And also when you have new entrants into the workforce that for the first two years, their first job, they weren't even in the office. It creates a real challenge for someone who needed who needs mentorship, who needs to interact with people, especially your first job, and they're working from home. And that's going to be very challenging for them to, to, um, to develop and grow their career when they're not interacting with people. Thank you, you know. Barry. Natasha, uh, what are you seeing out there right now in the workplace? Yeah, very similar. In addition to what Barry stated, um, we're seeing a lot of job insecurity as we see the economic climate shift. We are seeing layoffs in sectors such as the tech tech sector that was typically a very stable 
table, um, a sector for people to enter into. Now we're seeing massive layoffs. So people are very uncertain about their job security. Um, in fact, I've seen a term floating around now called the big stay. First, it was the great resignation when people had options to be able to go wherever they wanted to, pick, they pick their own workplace climate and culture. Now, because of the economic conditions, people are staying put um, because of that job insecurity. So um, that's really what I'm hearing as I work with my clients the most from employees um, is just the uncertainty that they're feeling right now in terms of their current job situation. So what I'm hearing from both of you is that people are not only insecure, which causes a lot of anxiety because they're projecting fear into the future, but they're not getting the moral support that they need and they're feeling lonely and isolated and perhaps unsure, which also can lead to depression and more anxiety. Um, are there programs in place at corporate America? Um, do you think that the you know, leaders of, of, of companies, big and small, are aware of these issues? And what are you seeing uh, companies do to kind of mitigate these challenges and uh, help keep their employees in a good state of mind and body? Natasha, you want to try or you want me to give sure. it a try? Sure. So um, I have really pivoted my work to mental health in the workplace because for the reasons that you just expressed, uh, during the early stages of the pandemic, I had a mental health crisis um, that resulted in a suicide attempt, resulted in a stay in a mental health facility, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder while I was admitted there. And so I pivoted my work to mental health. So I've been working with organizations to put programs and initiatives in place to supplement their other or DEI programs to help employees with this. So some of the things they've been doing is offering mental health days that are set aside from your traditional PTO days. They're offering apps, access to, you know, um, Calm app and things like that for meditation and also supplementing their medical benefits insurance. They have realized that there's a shortage of mental health professionals and therefore the workforce doesn't have access to mental health. So therefore they're supplementing that with on-demand therapy services um, that you can do telehealth and things like that. So these factors are definitely being addressed. We've got a long way to go, but I'm glad that we're start, finally starting to, to hear a conversation about mental health in the workplace. You know, it's so very important. And Natasha, you're really, you're uh, preaching to this choir. Uh, when I'm not hosting Make America Healthy and writing books, I'm the founder of Yoga Fit Training Systems, which is the largest yoga mind body school in the world. And we not only have a lot of mental health programs, but we too, since the pandemic, have been offering corporate wellness to give employees these very tools that they can use on themselves uh, to, you know, feel better mm -hmm. and be less stressed. And uh, the demand for, for our programming is really off the charts right now, because like you said, Mental health practitioners, psychiatrists, therapists, counselors, they're having their own mental health crisis because they're so busy and burnt out from all the clients that they have. Mm -hmm. And so we believe at YogaFit that empowering people with tools like breathing, meditation, self-directed tools, uh, you know, five, 10 minutes of movement every hour, mm -hmm. um, proper diet and nutrition to support mental health is so key. And uh, I'm very happy to hear from you that, that the companies that you're working with are making this a priority. Barry, Absolutely. what about you? What are you seeing? Well, in my experience, many companies offer what's called an employee assistance program, which is something that I used to refer a lot of employees to. An employee assistance program is just as it sounds, that employees having work issues, stress, anxiety, they contact, it's a confidential phone number. It's a service provided by the company. And that person on the other end guides them in what they're dealing with, what they're uh, handling, and provides them with referrals, recommendations, and a plan to improve their mental health. A lot of employees didn't even know the company offers it, and it costs you know, a considerable amount of money to have that program. So 
I used to refer employees to that. You know, they have a hotline. This has been for years. Many companies have that employee assistance program. And that was yeah. also um, the other thing I just want to mention, just a philosophical point, that mental health is really a 50-50 arrangement. The, the company has some obligation to help employees with their morale, but the employees also have an obligation. I, I always viewed it as a 50-50 arrangement. The employee has an obligation to, to be concerned about their own uh, motivation. They can't. Many employees make the mistake that they rely on the company to motivate them. They have to motivate themselves and and handle their mental health. Whereas many of them just expect the company to do that for them. That's been in my experience. So it's a mutual, uh, it's a mutual challenge. Yeah. So Natasha, I, I have a question for you. And I first would like to thank you so much for sharing your mental health challenges. Um, I too have had a lot of mental health challenges during this pandemic. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's affected our, uh, our school because we were uh, alive all-in-person school prior to the pandemic, and we had to switch to an all-virtual model. Um, you know, people not wanting to return to in-person events, uh, me being on and off of antidepressant medication for the past three years and, and trying to go it without the meds. Um, I, I too, uh, was suicidal last summer, went through a very rough, bleak period. So I, while I was not institutionalized because... Um, uh, you know, quite frankly, I, I don't have that kind of time. Um, I, maybe I should have been, who knows? I was involuntarily. So. Okay. okay. <laughs> like, if, I don't know what state you're in, but in California, they call that a 5150 danger to yourself or others. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because I had an actual suicide attempt, so I woke up in the in the hospital. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad someone found you, and I'm sure you are too. Uh, but you know, as the suicide rates are also unfortunately off the charts now, more so than ever before. Um, really spanning everyone from young people to older people to people in the workforce. I even heard in Japan, people are going out to the forests in record numbers and just um, offing themselves. So this is not just, you know, an American issue, but it really is a worldwide crisis right now. And I believe that corporations really have a responsibility to help guide their employees to greater states of wellness. Because let's face it, a happy employee, a healthy employee, a well-adjusted employee who's in a good mental health state and a good physical health state is going to be a better worker. It's going to be less sick days, less attrition, less job turnover, better performance. So, you know, I think it's a win-win for everyone. My question is, and to both of you, and I ask this question a lot to a lot of our experts who come on Make America Healthy, sometimes in regards to weight management and health, as we're also dealing with, a, you know, a pandemic average weight gain of 29 pounds and 50% obesity rate right now in the U.S. and more unhealthy people than ever before, as our show intro says. Um, how do we make someone want something that perhaps they don't even want themselves? What can employees, and someone who even works for a health club chain told me, well, employee, employers should just pay employees to go to the gym. What are your thoughts on reward mechanisms, incentives, and just guiding people to a place that maybe they don't even know that they need to go? Well, um, it's can I go first on that one? Sure. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So I have some thoughts on that. Um, and talking to you know, so many employees. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, what I was going to say is there has to be a delicate balance because an employer, a company cannot really get into personal conversations. It's a very delicate circumstance when it's about someone's health. It has to really only be work-related in the workplace. So it's really about the manager and the employee's relationship and the employee's relation with their coworkers. But managers have to tread a thin line when they start talking about personal issues with an employee. So it's very challenging. What we did was we provided incentives, what you said, you know, um, a discount on gyms, 
and um, uh, you know, an incentive like that. But there isn't a lot a company can do to encourage someone to lose weight or get into health, or get healthy, because it's like I said, it's really delicate in, in terms of employment laws to have those kind of conversations. So that's the real challenge. You can't sit down and have a conversation like that unless the employee volunteers that yeah. they're feeling unhealthy. You see what so, I'm saying? Uh, it, it's been a long time since I worked anywhere other than Yoga Fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when we were in high school and college, we had counselors that we could go to if we were having challenges. Just such uh, people and entities exist in corporate America. Well, in corporate America is the employee assistance program is the closest I could think of for that. Um, but there really isn't an outlet. It's really employees don't have much of an outlet other than there isn't any. I mean, if they want to bring it up to their manager, they may feel it's going to hurt their career. If they say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling stressed or something like that. It's really challenging for employees. Um, you know, so they that's why I said that, you know, it's 50-50. They have to do a lot on their own. But if the stress is work-related, they need to speak up and people don't. And they just keep, they sit at the desk and they just, and they just sit there in agony and they don't speak up. They need to speak up to the manager and say, I'm overworked, I'm overloaded, it's not the right job. And if someone's in the right job, in other words, if they love what they're doing and they're good at it, that's going to alleviate a lot of stress. If they're in the wrong job, they're going to be stressed. Okay, there's no doubt. So you have to love what you're doing. You're not going to like everything you're doing, but love what you're doing and be good at it. If you're in the wrong job, you have to speak up or you're going to just be hurting yourself. You know, uh, employees have to speak up if, if they don't feel it's the right job. Even if they have to leave, if they're not doing themselves or the company any favors there. But like I said, a manager cannot, I know it sounds harsh, but they can't really initiate the conversation about the employee's health with the employee. I know that may sound foreign to you guys, but that's the reality of employment. There's, there's so many laws that are strict, you know, HIPAA laws that you can't discuss an employee's health with them. It's not work-related. Your discussions with employee have to be work-related. I know it's harsh, but that's reality. But if I can piggyback on that, a couple of things um, that you brought to the attention. Uh, number one, yeah, I mean, of course, a lot of companies do offer incentive, incentives in terms of weight loss challenges, you know, gym memberships, et cetera, et cetera. But to what you said, Barry, in terms of people loving their, their job and what they do, we also have to talk about the environmental factors as well, because you can love your job and love what you do. But if your work culture is toxic, right, that takes up that mental space where you're still, you know, not doing well mentally. And when you're not doing well mentally, it's kind of hard to you do, for you to do well physically. And well, when, I'm sorry. No, that's a great point. And I've had that conversation so many times with employees. And when I tell what I tell them is you have three choices. You can try and do something about it. So you have to take control. It's when someone has doesn't have control that creates a lot of stress. So if it's a toxic environment, like you said, I tell employees, you have three choices. Try to alter the environment, influence people, be less toxic. You could learn to adjust to it or leave. I know that sounds harsh, but that gives you power. Those are your three employees' yeah. three choices. If you're doing everything you, can, everything you can to alter the culture and you can't do anything about it, then you either accept it or you leave. So I would only I would only assume that now that most people are virtual, there's less of this kind of toxic work environment thing because you're not like in the same room with in the same office with people these people every day. Am I correct on my assumption or off base? So I think most people are hybrid now. Um, a lot of the 100% virtual jobs have gone away. So most people are hybrid. So they, they do have some interaction now in physical workspaces with um, their coworkers and their leaders. And when we talk about culture, it's not just the things that we do from our day-to-day interactions, is right? It goes even into like pay equity. It goes into the way how organizations promote. So there are things, no matter where I'm situated, whether I'm working remotely or inside of a physical workspace, that impact my culture and that also impact my mental health, right? So no matter where, whether your employees are 100% remote, 
hybrid or 100% in the office. There are so many components um, to workplace mental health. And it's not just about, like you just said, microaggressions or some of the day-to-day interactions. We've got to look at an equity where there's opportunity, right, for us to promote and protect mental health. Wonderful. Thank you. Barry, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, if I can. So one of the roles I play right now is I provide sexual harassment and hostile work environment training at corporations, okay? And a lot of that training talks about uh, alleviating a hostile or um, toxic environment. And I think it's about education. It's required in New York State. So when I talk to employees, for example, when you're talking to another employee, not to make things personal, not to attack them, not to insult them, you know, to speak respectfully, to speak diplomatically. So a lot of the training is, is teaching people how to interact with each other to avoid a toxic environment. And then that's proactive. And then reactive, I investigate a lot of employee relations issues when there is a toxic environment, and I help managers remediate that. So you want to be proactive and then be ready to be reactive, but it's about communicating with your employees. It's your employee relationship with their manager. It's managers and leaders creating a safe environment for employees to be able to share their ideas, to speak up, to have equal share and everything. So it's really leadership has a big, a big role in creating the environment. In fact, it's leadership that creates the culture. That's where it comes from. And so they decide. During the onboarding process for new employees, and, and this you can both answer this, are there programs in place to teach people how to communicate? Because, you know, there are very few programs in college that teach this type of communication. Um, in schools, we're certainly not even taught about our emotions. I mean, that's starting to change. I've done some work in the New York City uh, school systems, uh, principal for the day program. And I've seen like little charts of emotions up on the walls with different faces. And apparently that's a new thing that some schools are implementing to teach children about emotions, how to manage them, how to handle them, how to identify them. Um, what 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 is happening in the onboarding process for new hires and even on a college level for people to get more fluent in proper um, communication and and appropriate communication, like Barry mentioned. Well, that's a great. I'm so sorry, Natasha. Again. I think it's beyond onboarding. I think that's where you start the conversation. You set out what your culture is. You talk about what civility and respect is. But as Barry said, it's about leadership. It's once you're in that role, a lot of times your people are going to model the behaviors of leadership. So if leaders are talking to people in a respectful way, in a culturally competent way, in a civil way, then you start to see that same behavior um, being modeled throughout the organization. And also, it's important that you cultivate an organization where you can, as Barry stated before, be able to speak up. So if someone does, you feel safe to do that, psychologically safe. So if I do have a leader or a coworker that has in some way offended me, a lot of times we don't know, right? A lot of times we unintentionally offend people. But if I work in a culture where I can pull you aside to say, hey, Barry, when you said such and such or, or you misgendered me or whatever that may be, uh, I need to give you some feedback on that. And then the culture is that Barry receives that feedback. Right. That's how you build that culture of respectful communication and civility. It's ongoing. I don't think we'll be able to you know, really just completely set the bar during the onboarding process or orientation. I think we can set the standards. But culture is about what we consistently see, say, and do, and it starts at the top. Yeah, those are great points. I had employees come to me all the time that that they can't get along with their boss or being mistreated, and they tell everybody else except their boss. And I would always coach them, encourage them, talk to your, your boss is the one that's the problem, and that's the person you need to speak to. So it works both ways. The boss has to create a safe environment, but they have to have... You know, it's not easy, but they have to be able to speak up to their boss. And further to what you said, the way the culture is shaped is that the board of directors, believe it or not, CEO, it's at that level. They establish the company's values and values are usually five values. So we value like collaboration is a value. Teamwork is a value. um, Revenue is a value. And then it's responsibility of, of the leadership to permeate those values down the organization and make sure everybody lives those values. And that's, like you said, that's where it creates a culture when it's lived every day. 
but its leadership has to do that uh, and, and move that, push that down and create a safe, open environment for employees to speak up. Yeah. I love this um, concept of conscious communication. Uh, because Barry, you've shared a couple of stories with me where some of the employees that you were the HR director for at one of the companies, I won't name the name, but really created a lot of havoc uh, for the company and everyone else with their very unconscious communication. I don't know, you have a a lot of great stories, I I know. So if you'd like to share any of them, our listeners always love a good story. Unconscious communication. So yeah, I mean, most of my work was on Wall Street, literally on Wall Street. So there were a lot of shocks and and tough people down there. Um, so it was a really, it's very, it was very cutthroat and, and very stressful in the in the companies I worked at, Lehman Brothers and Bowen Stanley. So everybody, you know, had to survive with that, um, and it was very harsh. And we had we hired when we hired people coming in, we tried to hire people that can handle the harshness. Believe it or not, our trading desk at Lehman Brothers was beyond harsh. I mean, I don't know what words to choose, but you have to be ready to handle that or it's the wrong place to work. So we try to get people coming in the door that can handle that kind of thing. So Um, basically, you're looking for people with a very thick skin. Totally. (laughs) I mean, at least. And and a non-reactive personality. Yes. I mean, you see it in the movies. You can't imagine what goes on at a trading desk. And it's incredibly, it's high stress like you can't imagine. So you have to be equipped to handle that or it's the wrong job. And we try to interview for that. We try to interview people that can handle us, you know, a great amount of stress and people that are resilient. I mean, even now, these kids, you know what it's like to be an analyst at Goldman Sachs. They have to work 20 hour days. They don't get any vacation time. They they did, they kill them. They, they work them to the, to, you know, to the stone and and these kids you know they want these jobs and then they get in there but they have to be able to handle that and that's even now 20 hour days is nothing and they used to be proud at Lehman Brothers would be like oh I worked 20 hours today oh you're a lightweight I worked 22 hours that's the culture you know well I, I hope no one from Goldman Sachs is listening to this but I will oh, tell no. you <laughs> I have participated in their Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses program and when they had their conference last summer I offered to teach yoga and meditation at their event um, they did not accept my invitation, although there were plenty of rooms uh, where we could have done some stress management techniques. And, and I always find it so curious, and I'm sure you can both speak to this, but I go to a lot of business conferences, you know, where we're sitting 8, 10, 12. I just got back from one in San Diego. I think we sat 14 hours one day. And there's no mention of health, physical health, mental health. There's no activity to get people moving. I mean, our bodies were just not built to sit for such long periods of time and under fluorescent lighting, which I think I'm allergic to fluorescent lighting. I will even go into a gym and if there's fluorescent lights there, I find it very difficult to even have a workout there. So, um, you know, the, the resources or the emphasis on health and wellness just isn't there. Do you both think that corporations actually care at all if their employees are healthy or not? Well, I can, I'm sorry, Natasha, can, companies spend millions and millions on healthcare. And so when I managed our healthcare programs at these companies, we did what's called a census every year, which is basically a report of how healthy your employees are. So if we have employees, if we have some, one employee could be a million dollars in, in expense, in medical expense, that's going to be a lot of money. So that what generates our premium is how healthy your employees are. Does that make sense? So that's it's called course. a census. So when they price our premiums, they ask us for a census. They ask us for all the information of every employee that's filed health care claims. And they look at how healthy are our employees. And if they're not healthy and we have big claims you know, like one cancer patient could be a half a million dollars. If we have many of those big claims, we're going to be paying a lot of money, millions in healthcare expenses. So companies all are all about the bottom line. So healthy employees will not only be more productive, it's going to help you in terms of what you pay for premiums, uh, you know, for your healthcare, but, and also, you know, the productivity is, is critical. So companies really care about the bottom line. I know that sounds a little harsh, but that's, that's what they care about. And, Healthy employees will make produce more, then they'll be focused on that. 
But I think if I can add on to that, Barry, I think that you're right. And I've been the head of HR for, for many organizations, labor and employment law attorney. And, and for years, that's what we measured. But we never, I know when I was sitting at the head of HR, um, we did not get reports on mental health. It was all about the level of obesity, heart rate, diabetes, those types of things. Um, and as you stated, Beth, I mean, you appear to be in very good physical shape. I bet you if I, if you were to go to your primary care physician right now, you would get a pristine report. But we're, so we're overlooking it. We focus on the physical health. And yes, that, that contributes to our mental health. But if we're if we're in this hostile culture that we talked about earlier, especially as it relates to Wall Street and finance and other sectors, um, eventually we're measuring we're, we're measuring the wrong thing because eventually people check out. They, they're going to have a mental health crisis. They're going to find themselves like me involuntarily admit or, or voluntarily admit they're going to find themselves then engaging in substance abuse to cope with these long hours, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that's not a short term thing we should measure, but we've got to keep the mental health part in mind. We've got to think about how our culture is contributing to that because maybe it's not showing up now, but it does show up in the long term. And I think that insurance companies, when I worked with them, um, our benefits providers, I just didn't get any measurement or it was all about, let's do a steps challenge, let's do a weight loss challenge, let's do this, let's do that. Nothing related to mental health um, was uh, addressed. And I had people that were perfectly physically fit who ultimately had to miss a lot of days of work because they had a mental health crisis, right? So I I think we've got to start a new wave era where, yeah, all of that counts, but we've got to add on to the whole person um, as well. Natasha, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I always say that, you know, as someone who has struggled with a lot of mental health challenges myself, I always say that it's easier to experience those in a healthy body than a non-healthy body, because the minute our health goes, it's our physical health goes, it's our first focus Uh, and and everything else, everything else takes a back seat to that. Um, but I also know that, you know, up until a few years ago, talking about mental health was just not a good thing for anyone to do and people weren't doing it. And, you know, if you told someone, let's say 15, 20 years ago that you were seeing a therapist, it, there was some stigma, especially in certain communities and, and societies and uh, no. locations. There was, there was a lot of stigma around seeking mental health. And even people who are in 12-step programs use euphemisms to, you know, share that they're in a program. So now that the door has opened and people are speaking out about mental health, I mean, is this something that could be engaged at the workplace where there would be like, a you know, lunchtime seminar on let's get real about mental health? Would employees feel comfortable talking about their mental health in front of their coworkers? That is my question to you both. If I can, yeah, um, I'd like to comment on that. Um, Mental health is protected by the American Disability Act. That's depression, anxiety, stress disorder, all protected. The problem is it's still a stigma. An employee is concerned. It's not easy for an employee to tell the manager, I'm suffering from depression. It's still not easy for an employee to do that. They're concerned about their careers. And but once they do, then they're protected. Then the company, it's very I've handled that where employees had to take time off for, for depression. And they're protected, and it's it's very challenging to handle a disability case like that. But once they speak up, then the company can do something about it. But if they don't speak up, and the company doesn't know they're suffering depression, what what can the company do? There's nothing they can do. But it's not so easy. Still- what I'm hearing is that if you go to your employer and you say, "I'm I'm suffering from a mental health challenge," whether it's a big company or a small company, now these people are protected by what did They've you say? Been. No, it's they've been protected for years. It's the American Disabilities Act, the ADA, protects people with uh, clinical depression, stress disorder. Uh, it, it totally protects them from that. So what protection means is if you're having trouble, if you're struggling with depression and it's it's impacting your job performance and you have to you go to a doctor, it's driven by the doctor. You go to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist has to diagnose you with depression. Once you're diagnosed with depression, the company can't touch your job. So you're protected. It's a 
by many lawyers as a family medical leave act. So the doctor would tell the company, I used to get these notes all the time. My client has a clinical depression, needs to take six weeks off from work, and the company would never think of firing that person. So you would have to manage their depression um, through their doctor until they're ready to come back to work. They're protected. The family medical leave protects employees with um, illnesses, and that's considered an illness. So it's the American Disabilities Act. So people who are listening to this show who work for corporations shouldn't fear being blacklisted. They should um, welcome being protected and embraced. So if I could just weigh in, um, Beth, to go back to your original question, uh, um, you know, you talked about can and should employers be having conversations about how are you? Let's talk about it. Yes, and they are. I lead these conversations on almost a daily basis. These safe space conversations, let's talk about mental health at work. I've been doing mental health training for managers as well as individual contributors. Um, but they're absolutely correct. Uh, I do believe in, um, you know, disclosing if you need to because you need what is called a workplace accommodation. And that accommodation can be, we talked about, working remotely. Hey, I need to work remotely, you know, certain days a week so I can talk to my therapist or whatever that is. So sometimes you do have to disclose it in certain situations that you're dealing with something. And yes, you're protected from losing your job because of that position. And I always make it clear to managers and others that suffer, you still have to perform. You still have to meet your performance expectations. It's not an overall umbrella of protection. You just can't be terminated or retaliated against because you disclosed it. But you asked a great question. Does that mean that that provides total protection? Unfortunately, it does by law, but sometimes, again, by culture, some leaders and organizations, once you disclose, they'll find other ways. All of a sudden, you do have a performance issue. All of a sudden, you know, all of these things, and I hear these, I get these messages because I talk about this every day on my LinkedIn platform. Every day of the moment I disclose, this happened. The moment I disclose, this happened. And that's why it's so critical that the work that I do to do mental health training for managers so we can remove that stigma. Because a lot of time where it comes from is that the moment you disclose, their brain goes to what you can't do. And we start to go into what you talked about earlier. We automatically think we have a mental health condition that's going to result in absenteeism, low productivity, et cetera, et cetera. And it does for some, but not for all. With me with bipolar disorder, it actually fueled my professional success. Work was the last to go when I experienced a mental health crisis. And when I was discharged from the hospital on a Saturday, I was back at work on Monday, right? So a lot that, that's not the case for every single employee. So we've got to make sure that managers are equipped with knowledge that mental health is not one thing. It's not, a, and, it does, and it looks different even within a disease for, you know, different people. Uh, and the more that we educate, the more that stigma is removed, and the more we can create that safe space to disclose and talk about the challenges that we face. So, Natasha, again, thank you so much for being open and honest and sharing um, what was your diagnosis. And I'm not sure how old you are, but um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, me too. So tell us, um, you know, being diagnosed with with any kind of and and. Barry and I have discussed this too, like getting the diagnosis at a certain time in one's life. And, and I asked the psychiatrist that we had on the show two weeks ago, the same question, like you get a diagnosis, um, you know, it might, it might cause you even more anxiety and depression because all of a sudden you have this label, you have this stigma. Uh, can I just ask you on a more personal note, because we, we like to get in, uh, deep and, and personal here yeah. at American Healthy. Like, how did you respond to getting that diagnosis? Did it make sense to you? And I'm going to share a personal story on this. Like I, I said to one of my associates who I was working with actually earlier today, I said, God, I wonder if I have bipolar disorder. I said, because I have some days where I'm like on and I'm sending emails and the work is flowing. And then I'll hit like a day where it's just like, I don't want to do anything and nothing's happening. And I have to drag myself through the day and I can't face some like online banking challenge that I may have or some other of the harder things. Um, and I'm kind of joking, but maybe I'm not like, how did you respond to your diagnosis and how did it change your life? Yeah. So I was diagnosed at 42 years old. So of course I'm like, how can I have a mental illness? And I've been, you know, 
quote unquote functioning just fine uh, for 20 something plus years professionally, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I did, I did uh, self-stigmatize myself like, okay, after this diagnosis, I won't be able to be considered credible, capable, confident. And I stayed in that space for quite some time. And um, at that time, I was very, very, uh, it's still very, very active on LinkedIn. I had about 80,000 followers then. I, you know, posted every day. I went completely dark on it. Um, you know, it's like, people are going to know. They're going to know, you know. And so eventually, when I shared my concerns and fears of being able to return to my post, my pre-diagnosis self with my mental health provider, my mental health provider said, Natasha, you probably, you have had bipolar disorder probably for the past 20 years. You're just now being diagnosed from what you've told me. The thing is, you have been able to achieve all of these professional successes and have this credibility um, before your diagnosis. Nothing's going to change after that as long as you follow that treatment plan. And I thought about it. Yeah, you're right. And then I started to research uh, instead of going to the dark place of the horrible things that happen, you know, to people with mental health conditions. I found out there's tens of thousands of people, right, who have a mental health condition and they have made significant differences in this world from Winston Churchill to Mark Twain to Mariah Carey, right? Martin Luther King is a two-time suicide survivor. People don't know that. What they know about him is what he did for this world, right? So that's what pivoted for me and helped me to be able to then share my story openly uh, about my suicide attempt, about my hospitalization and my diagnosis. And since that point, I've shared exactly what you've just described, the highs, the lows, all, everything that comes with it. But in the end, the theme is, right, hey, I still can maintain my relationships. I still have my career. In fact, my career is doing better than ever. And that's what I want people to see. And the more that people see that, again, the more we're going to be able to remove that stigma, even well, for I ourselves. And, and thank you for that. I have found in my own personal experience that having mental health challenges has made me a definitely a deeper, more introspective person, um, you know, cause I've, I've had to do the work cause I haven't had a choice and whether it's seeing a psychiatrist or doing a plant medicine journey or trying different microdosing protocols. Um, cause pretty much I'll try anything. That's just my personality. I've, I just like with my yoga lean clients, when I tell them that they need to be doing, willing to do whatever it takes to make a shift. Uh, getting people into that mindset, I think, is key. And then also just being vulnerable and honest with people, putting it out there. Yeah, your career is doing better than ever. Congratulations. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I think that with any of these diagnoses, there are probably just as many pluses, especially probably with bipolar, right? Uh, as long as you have as many highs as you have lows or hopefully more highs than lows. Way more highs. <laughs> and, and so I, I guess, um, you know, it's just learning for all of us to manage those low days or those low hours and, and do a healthy self-care techniques during that time to get us back to that state where we are feeling productive. And a lot of us, myself included, are, are addicted to feeling productive, making a positive difference in the world, getting things done, making an impact. I could go on and on. But, um, and so we have to, you know, for every high, there's a low, right? And we have to suffer through those, those lows and also realize that not every day is going to be a good day and not every hour is going to be a good one. And it's flexibility uh, and difficulty. That's what I say. And right. you know what? And when I think about that, I think every person, whether you've been diagnosed with a mental health condition or not, you go through periods of stability, you go through periods of difficulty. So like, once again, we shouldn't be making this huge difference, you know, between whether or not you've been diagnosed or not. In fact, I've even stopped using the terminology when I was diagnosed and start to accept it. Oh, well, I must be high functioning. And I hear that word a lot, high functioning, high functioning. To me, that word is stigmatizing within itself because it assumes that if you have a mental health condition, you're not able to function. And so therefore, you know, I, I think about that. I'm like, I'm going to stop saying I'm high functioning. I am just a person that's, you know, working in this world. Someone had diabetes and they were taking their insulin and they were able to get up and go to work and be there. We would not call them a high functioning person with just with diabetes. Right. So 
again, just like there are people who, who are bedridden because of diabetes and people that we wouldn't know it, the same is true for mental health. And the, and the less the more the less that we make that clear cut line and the more that we blur it and just see it as an illness, just like any other, um, again, that stigma is going to be more and more removed. The challenge is you can't see I, I want to jump to your experiences going to Zen meditation as a way to manage your own workplace stress. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because as you know, I'm a fan of yoga and meditation, my body tools. So tell us how uh, that experience helped you be, be less stressful in the workplace. Yeah, it goes back maybe 20 years ago. I was I was going through, you know, relationship issues, work issues. And a friend of mine just said, I'm going to drive. We're going to go somewhere. I thought we we're going to the Hamptons. We end up pulling into a Zen monastery upstate New York in Livingston, New York. He told me I have to shave my head, but he was joking again. And so um, it was very um, powerful. I, I, I showed up on Friday when I left. I just felt so energized. I felt like a completely new person. And it, it's very, uh, it was very structured. You show up, they give you a robe, some bowls and chopsticks, and you can't speak uh, a good portion of the day. There's no talking. And you have to be in the Zendo at 5 a.m. There's a space with your name on it. And you sit there. The first meditation is about 20 minutes, and it goes up to 35 minutes. And it's just such a powerful environment. It's, it's even hard to describe what it's like in that environment. It, it was very Asian, very Japanese. Um, and uh, like I said, it's upstate New York. And um, I, I just can't say enough about it. It's, it's you're with Zen monks, they're in training. So you have to be very respectful to them. And, um, and they teach you to meditate. And they tell you it's always an introduction. You're not going to learn all about Zen in one weekend. You're just getting a flavor of it. But it's, it's meditation all day. It's the environment that you also have to do work, which is very therapeutic, is working. And the food is very healthy. The food's fantastic. And um, like I said, a lot of it's no talking, but then the Zen monks give speeches at different times of the day. So it's just, it was just a very powerful experience. I did it a few times. Um, and That's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, maybe corporations are going to start to take all their employees on, on weekend retreats to Zen monasteries. That would be great. It's or not for yoga fit conferences. We would love to. Ha- we would love to have all corporations uh, come to yoga fit. Natasha, um, as we move towards closing the show, and this one's gone so fast. Workplace health apparently is a very large topic. Um, give us uh, some some easy solutions uh, for for people who are listening who may be having a mental health challenge, maybe they were diagnosed, maybe they want to embrace their coworkers into moving towards greater states of mental health. Maybe there's someone on their team that seems suffering from anger or depression. Um, what are some helpful tips and hints? Because you're clearly an expert in, in workplace mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am an advocate about talking about mental health at work. And as Barry stated, yes, we don't have to go into your diagnosis, but it is okay for Amanda to say, are you okay? I've noticed these types of differences, whether it's an up, whether it's a down, right? Or whether you see a coworker. So asking someone if they are okay, how can I support you? Nothing wrong with that. Let's start with that conversation. Let's reward mental health and incentivize mental health just like we do physical health, like we talked about um, during uh, the, the earlier parts of our chat. Let's define for yourself what self-care looks like. And um, I was on a, another uh, a call, you know, when someone said, you know, it's not just bubble baths and massages. Sometimes it's about putting up boundaries, right? Eliminating toxicity from your life, whether it's people, whether it's places, you know, just like Barry stated, and I want to chime in on that. I have a whole chapter in my book about creating your exit strategy, because if you're not able to manage the toxicity in your workplace through addressing it, through trying to be a role model, then then you need to know those signs of um, addressing, you know, putting your exit plan into straits. And sometimes that means exiting your workplace. But we don't want leaders. We don't want leaders to encourage that. We want leaders 
to cultivate these cultures of mental wellness by being aware of what mental health conditions are, doing their best to educate themselves so that they don't have stigma, check their bias against people with mental health conditions, check their leadership behaviors, because workplaces are the number one contributor to bad mental health. They just came out with a study for that. Your manager. Exactly. I, would love to, I would love to see that. We're going to. Yeah, they uh, said your manager has a bigger impact on your mental health than anything else. So again, more so than, than your husband, your wife, your spouse. That's right. Your manager, your manager. Oh. So, yes. So again, so looking at your behavior, your culture to ensure, yeah, there are things going to happen outside of the workplace that you can't, um, you know, I have bipolar disorder. It wasn't related to my, my workplace, um, but there was times that I worked in a culture that, you know, was. So again, those are just a few things, but I encourage you to pick up my book, Crazy AF, to learn more. It's a book full of those hits and tips. Yeah. And, and we'll definitely put all that information in the show notes. We have unfortunately run out of time. Um, Barry, what's your website so people can find you? Oh, expertinterviewcoaching.com. Great. Thank you so much, Barry Drexler, Natasha Bowman. I can't wait to read that book because I think I'm crazy AF. And I may or may not have gotten a diagnosis to back that up. But it's a good kind of crazy. And um and I'm, I'm helping more people embrace that that positive side of themselves. Um, we'd like to thank the sponsors of our show, Yoga Fit Training Systems, the leaders in mind, body, fitness, education, offering corporate wellness, healthcare wellness, yoga teacher trainings, Ayurveda, yoga therapy, Yoga Fit Warriors program, which is celebrating its 10th year in existence, helping anyone with PTSD, trauma, anxiety, or depression, Check out yogafit.com and you can save 15% at checkout by using the code VOICE23. You can find me on Instagram at Beth Shaw Health or at my website, bethshaw.com. Control around Facebook, you'll find me too. And all of my books are sold anywhere books are sold, including Healing Trauma with Yoga, which I think we all need to do right now. So thank you both so much for being on the show. What a great show this was. Let's get healthier in the workplace. Let's encourage corporations, employers to bring more physical and mental health programming, including yoga, meditation, and everything that Natasha does to their employees. Let's start talking more, having these conversations, share this show if you enjoyed it. And stay tuned because we'll have a great show next week. Please check out previous episodes of Make America Healthy off of voiceamerica.com or anywhere podcasts live. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a healthy rest of your day and make sure you're moving your body when you're sitting at your desk. Namaste. Thanks for joining us on Make America Healthy. We hope we've given you some tools you need to take back control of your health. Until next time, we wish you a healthy and wonderful week.